In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. Hey, I'm Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome, everyone. So, last time we talked, we wanted to... Uh, we, we'd said something about needing to get into the problem of evil at some point, and this mm. seems like, to both of us, this seemed like as good a time as any to do that. Um, I'm curious on your perspective on this. Let's, let's start with this question, and I'm going to ask you this question. Where did evil come from, and how could a good God allow evil to exist in his creation? That is an odd perspective. Um, I have had the thought, because um, the creation of evil, original sin, these sort of things um, uh, float around uh, a couple of symbolic images and, and thoughts, and there are justifications for an action as good and the same action as evil. And um, we had uh, just offline talked about uh, questioning words, journalistic words, who, what, where, when, and why. Um, and in those questions of who, what, where, when, and why, where good and evil seems to reside is in why. Why did it happen? Um, if it's, you know, um, a hobbled man that is hobbled for the purpose of giving Jesus a place to show a miracle, that's for the good. If it's, oh, the idea that did not happen of uh, uh, Christ accepting Satan's offer, that would be evil, right? Uh, so it is a, a very fuzzy spot to try to, to pin down because it comes down to is it for God's good? Is it for your good? Is it for, right? And, and uh, intentional uh, uh, taking advantage of loopholes as opposed to stumbling through life uh, to, to, to use Jesus Christ's sacrifice for good as being a good, but the sacrifice itself feeling painful, it's still good. So it really does based on its fruits, it's determined to be good and evil? You know, what would I say? This is, this is a conversation I had with an uncle a while back. Um, he, actually, it's only been a couple of weeks. And he and I tend to fall on different sides of things theologically. So... If you could draw, uh, if you could draw a spectrum of people who believe in free will and people who b believe in predestination, I'm somewhere way over on the free will side, and he's somewhere way over on the predestination side. Okay, and that ne necessarily puts us in some pretty interestingly different perspectives. But he and I have been 
really good friends ever since I was a little kid. He's like, he, the age difference between him and my dad and me is all roughly the same. So we've, we've got this cool thing going on generationally where we've got this fun, uh, dynamic. Um, anyway, what it comes down to in a lot, for a lot of people, when, when you start getting into the theology of it and trying to parse it down, um, a lot of people say that the problem of evil is requires a theodicy. And what that means is a defense of God over evil, a defense of how God could be good with the evil that's going on. And I don't see it that way. And, and that actually really bothered my uncle because he says, everybody else seems to think this is a big deal and you don't think this is a big deal. How can that be? And so let me just, let me just lay out for you the way I see things and we'll go from there. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he said oh, everything was good, but that didn't mean that he created them with experience or an experience of evil at all. It just means that he created them basically innocent. You can look at your kids, little bitty kids, babies, and you can say, oh, that baby is so innocent. He's so good. He's like a little angel. And you've got, you're onto something there in that that baby is innocent. He hasn't encountered evil and he hasn't committed evil. So that there is something that we respond to there sort of reflexively noting the good that's there, noting the innocence that's there. But really it's just innocence. It isn't necessarily good it's just inexperienced. It's you haven't been put through anything difficult or anything adverse or whatever. There's no good or evil. It's just innocence. And innocence is not actually good. So Adam and Eve were created and everything was good the way it was set up. But when evil was brought into their surroundings and and here's what I would say that we as human beings are created work well today in this in living in a sinful world we can't really understand what real innocence is we have this predisposition to look at everything through eyes that already see sin we've already been a part of evil that's going on in the world in some sense because there is evil around us so we aren't really perfectly innocent they were and when they made a decision, it says in Genesis that the serpent talking to Eve, he he deceived her and she saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eye and that it, it looked like a good thing. And so she trusted what the serpent said instead of obeying what God said and made a decision. And then Adam took the fruit that she gave him and in turn made a decision and those decisions were evil because they were a disobedience of God. That was the first violation of the law by humans.
of a law by humans. And it made us all sort of, it, it threw everything out of whack because, and this is where my uncle and I actually really disagree on things. I believe that God gave gave people the ability to make choices toward or away from him, inside or outside of what he decides, that he actually delegated some responsibility for choice. Or my uncle would say that, no, God's not capable of delegating sovereignty. It's like asking if God can make a rock so big he can't move it. Of course he can't. And I, my observation would be, well, when I walk around, I make some choices. And some of them are not so very good choices. So obviously, as near as I can tell, if I'm making choices, and I'm responsible for those choices, then either God is fooling me because he prescripted, prescripted everything and, and everything's deterministic, or I'm actually making choices. So I'm going to assume that if God is true and good, that it looks like what it is, and I'm making choices. And that means that I had a right, and Adam and Eve had a right, to make a choice toward good and evil. What happened in Adam and Eve's case, though, sort of turned into a snowball and it rolled downhill, and now, because the whole world is so enmeshed in this sinful mess, without God's help, without Jesus's help, we're not actually capable of making good choices anymore at all. What are your thoughts let me on that? Put something, well, let me put this out there and, and, and let me ask you, because what, what's, what's flowing in my, the ideas that are, that are uh, bouncing around in my noggin here, mm-hmm. you could, <clears throat> you could completely submit to demons in a moment um, and wake up after the fact, having done something that you literally don't, don't even remember. So there is you giving up your choice. And that feels evil. But making a wrong choice doesn't feel evil. It's just you didn't, you were in, ignorant. You, you know, you didn't have the truth. You didn't have all the details, whatever. But you are still operating as God intended when you're making choice and you're, you're, moving outside of that whenever you've gotten yourself into a blackout situation where it's no longer it's this, no longer this is this is a place where we get into some really deep weeds and here's how i mean that okay it's pretty clear well the bible actually says All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, every single one of us has fallen down, has missed the mark, has done something that is not up to God's standard. And God is a holy God. Meaning, anything that is not up to his standard, he can't really, he can't abide it. Which is why Christ... Meaning it has to be, he has to separate himself from it, right? In order for it to exist, he has to separate himself from it because he can't, he can't make it a part of himself. Um, and with Christ, with the sacrifice he made for our sin, we can be forgiven for those things, for those places where we fall short, and even active evils that we do. 
but here's how I read scripture. There are a lot of people, and I'm not going to say this is wrong because I don't know for sure. There are people who are wiser and more well-read and more learned than I who believe that every human being who does not accept Christ is destined to eternal torment as a just punishment for falling short. Not, not for intentional evil, for falling short of God's standards, they are destined to eternal torment. Okay? That's one side okay. of that's one side of the the spectrum of the Christian church's belief on this subject. The other side is that because humans were always sort of influenced by the enemy that Christ is going to just choose to forgive everyone because he made the sacrifice. It's his choice who he forgives. It's his choice because he carried the weight of all that sin. He now gets to make the decision of who is saved. So everybody's going to be. Those are the two ends of the spectrum. And the way I think it falls out goes something more like this, because this is this to me looks more more biblical, and I don't understand it perfectly, and I could be wrong, but here's how it looks to me. There are places in the Bible where it says that certain people will have their names blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life, and that whoever's name is not blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life will have some sort of salvation. And it, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, there's another place where it says that if you, if you believe in your heart, I know what what was it? If you if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God had the will and the power to raise Him from the dead, then you will have eternal life. Okay, so here's the way I look at it we know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes God raised him from the dead will be saved. Not of anything they've done, not because of their good deeds, but because of a free gift that Jesus gives us. Because he paid that cost. Man, that's scary to me. What? That in and of itself is not does not protect you from being blotted out of the book of life yeah it does. you could you could totally because no. because no 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 let me back that up yeah the the most in opposition to our ideals might be an islamic faith right the islamic uh terrorist group whatever thought and they profess that the Old Testament and the New Testament are real. They profess that Jesus Christ came. They, 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 they don't deny it. They don't deny it. And they still act poorly. So how do you... Here's, here's, where, here's where this... Here's where I fall in a pretty uh, unpopular place. I think that Jesus has a right, because he paid that cost to save whoever he chooses to save. He told us who he for sure will save. Those who call upon the name of the Lord 
those who believe in their heart that he that God had the will and the power to raise him from the dead and confess with their mouth that he's Lord. We know those people are going to be saved. But I think that outside of that, there is a group of people, and I don't know which ones, and I don't think there's any reason I should know because I'm not the judge. He is. It's his decision, and I don't really want to know. But I think that there is a group of people that he will say, no, you know what? My, my choice. My choice. And that there will be a group of people who he will say, you know what? Right. You, you said uh, those things, but they were not in your heart. I never knew you. <laughs> well, and, and, and even what you did like in the case of in the case of the the imaginary um, Indian warlord who killed a hundred people in his lifetime because it was hard to kill a lot more than that when your weapons were that primitive but this this imaginary native warlord kills a hundred people in his lifetime he never had an opportunity to hear the gospel he never knew of Christ's sacrifice and in his case what what does god do does he does he say no i'm going to i'm going to end you forever or does he say you have some place in this world that i am creating it may not be the same place as this person who was my faithful servant his whole life but you have some place here and i don't know the answer i think that we take too much on ourselves assuming that we do know the answer um, I certainly agree with that. Well, and and I think that Christians are guilty of this a lot more than most people are. That we try, because we have the Bible, because we have some, some set of rules that lays out a lot of the answers for these things, we try to create a system that is complete. We try to decide that we have all the answers. And I think that when we do that, we're actually in sin, that that's actually a sin. There's something wrong with that, that what we ought to do is it's we ought to... Go ahead. It certainly leads to situations where you can pay money for the forgiveness of sins and, and odd uh, effects. Um, it also leads to thinking someone is uh, subhuman or, or less uh, divine if they have not yet received the word. It leads to all kinds of bad things, where what we ought to do is, as the New Testament tells us, therefore, brothers, let us no longer judge one another, but instead resolve never to put a stumbling block in front of a brother. That doesn't mean that you don't decide that certain behaviors are good and bad. Like, you know, I can look at that guy and say, you know what he's doing is really bad for him. He's making bad choices that are going to hurt him. That's not me judging him. That's me saying that behavior is causing him problems. But I'm not his judge. God's is his judge. We both serve God. I leave his judgment to God. I am responsible for my behavior. And I am. I can look this, at his behavior decide to see what good behavior is or isn't, maybe. But I'm not ju his judge. Sure. The uh, <clears throat> initial question of uh, why does God uh, allow for... Uh, what we would consider bad things to happen. Yes, um, I wanted to go does, back there. 
Well, sure. And this, this does kind of loop back into it. If you were to look at someone uh, like Job, and he's done the right thing, and he's done the right thing, and he's done the right thing, he's uh, been a good example, that's in and of itself uh, a teaching moment. Whereas if you take someone, um, I've, I've picked on it and picked on it and picked on it that um, young people will say, I want uh, wealth uh, for this or that. And then I'll bring up, well, do you want to be Jer uh, Jeffrey Epstein? Does that sound like a good life? He had a lot of money. He had an island. He had these, these physical things. Do, do you want to be like Jeffrey Epstein? Well, no, no, not at all. That's horrible. How could you bring that up? Well, everything you described, I also described, right? So the uh, if you look at just the outcomes, you look at just the equity, then you don't look at cause and effect. You just look at outcome. You just look at effect. And you, you don't even realize the cause. Whereas God is much more all-encompassing to be... Is it providing a good lesson? Is it providing a uh, a pathway for the uh, for his people? Is it providing or is people providing a pathway for everyone else? <laughs> right? Um, it's a it's a bigger question than the individual. Sadly, in that moment, right? that if if you're looking at why does God let bad things happen, it is for lessons' sake. Okay, so. You're right. I guess I guess what I would say is something like this that that we first have to we have to start with the right overall perspective and the overall perspective is that God's intent is not the same as our intent. God's purposes are not the same as our purposes. What he wants is not the same as what we want, which means that when we look at evil, he sees something that he didn't create, he didn't put it there, but he allows it to happen because it is a means to his end. Okay? And so, God, if God gave us responsibility for our own decisions, and he won't trespass on that in this life, in this age... But he will, at the end of this age, he will, you know, when, when things come due and the world is, basically, the world has come to a place there. where, okay. Just the usage of words. What you mean is correct. The words you're using are wrong. The end of the age is not the end of time. The end of time is the judgment. No, that's wrong. Okay. If you if you if I'm uh, reviewing Revelation, it describes a period of uh, time under Christ's rule before the end judgment and the lake of fire, etc., etc., etc. The end times are separate from the turning of the age, in my opinion. That's that's true. But what I'm speaking to is. is this, that this age, the purpose of this age is bringing things into alignment so that everything is under God's rule again. 
and then the rest of time is setting things right in detail before whatever to a degree at least that, that that's the way it looks to me so one way or another though the point here is that god did not originate this evil he instead originated creatures that have responsibility for their own decisions that can make choices that are not toward god which that is the definition of evil is something that is not toward god right and yes and if we can make those choices that means that we have free will but god being having his ways be higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts understands how everything fits together and how everything works to the to the degree that he can bring his will about despite anything we do and this is a this is not a case of This is, this is a case of God wanting people who can make real decisions to be real, I don't know, real people to interact with him. For whatever reason, that's what he chose. But because he is God, he didn't give us the ability to thwart him in the long view of things. He just gave us responsibility for our choices in a way where he can work despite us to bring his ends about in an effective manner. And hmm. so let's let's bring this kind of into a personal level a little bit and then we can take a break. So okay. I know a family whose baby drowned. They went to the reservoir and their little one, about two, got in the water and died. I haven't That's painful. I have an aunt and uncle who actually it's the same uncle I was talking about earlier, who had a baby born with a fatal form of dwarfism. She carried the baby to term. They loved him. They held him. They sang to him, and they took him off life support, and they let him die. My mom got to Rough. hold him. And I think, I believe, that that happening, and yeah, I mean, you, you could probably see my eyes getting red. That It makes <laughs> me sad thinking about it, because I can imagine that being one of my own little ones. And the, just the sheer tragedy, the sheer sadness of that is, it's tremendous. And I think that that came about because humans let sin into the world. And because we were responsible for the world, because God set us in responsibility over the world, that sin spread and affected the entire world. And because of that, we have all sorts of horrible things that go on today. And this leads people to ask, rightfully to ask, in total pain and and just 
absolute sorrow and, and anger. How could a good God let this happen? This pain, this darkness is so bad that a good God could not abide this. A God who was really good, who had power over everything, couldn't not, he couldn't abide this. It isn't possible. In that particular situation? In any situation that is that is that that horrible where innocent human beings are being killed or dying because of things that are either perpetrated evil by other humans or even just environmental evil that a good God couldn't let it happen. And that's a real pain and that's a real thing. And it, it it's, it really matters. And I think that if you want to, you know, in the moment, there is no answer for that because the sorrow and the pain are so deep. It's like Jesus, when his friend Lazarus died, he couldn't get there in time to save him because he was off doing something that God had him doing. But he could get there after Lazarus had died. And Lazarus' sisters are like, if you'd been here, he would have lived. We know he would. Why did you do this? And Jesus is crying as he's he's weeping as he goes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus gets up and he rises from the dead. Jesus raises him from the dead right there. And so what I would say is this. In the moment, that sorrow is real and valid and it hurts and it matters. And Jesus felt it himself. He cried for his friend. And he still wasn't there because God had him doing something else because God's priorities are not our priorities. And the, the supreme challenge in being a human being is to look at God and say, I trust you. I have the knowledge of good and evil. I see all this evil. I understand how bad this world is. I trust you because would you, would you layer upon that the, the lessons of Christ that in the face of evil, you should provide forgiveness uh, and instruction and, and, and help change minds as opposed to pure destruction of what you view as that evil. I think that that's a good subject for after the break. Seems like a reasonable topic. Okay. All right, everyone, I think we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back here in a minute. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by Bright Star, the forthcoming book by me, Jared Michaud due to hit shelves April of 2024. For pre-release copies, head over to e6universe.com. Use the promo code ISRAEL for 10% off with your order. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the people enjoying Modern Apocrypha. As many of you can see, I'm an avid coffee drinker, and I've been drinking North Arrow coffee for a couple of rounds now. You can find North Arrow coffee at northarrowcoffee.co, all one word. 
where they list coffee of the month and how green coffee is handled. I've been enjoying some of the number four Honduras and some of the number 10 Peru available at northarrow.co. If you'd like to help support us even more, you can use discount code E6 for 10% off your coffee order today. Thank you. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. So you, right. asked, you asked how we respond to evil, essentially, was, was your question. And there are two answers to that. So the first answer is the one that Jesus gave. But you have to understand it in context to the second answer, because the society that he lived in at the time was one in which the the law was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You protect and take revenge for the people who are your responsibility. So if someone comes and hurts my kids, I have a responsibility to go take revenge. I have a right to extract the same punishment that was inflicted on my people, okay? And this has an important role. People like to go to the main answer that Jesus gave without actually dealing with the other value, which is this. We have a right and responsibility to take care of the people we are responsible for. That means if somebody is coming to hurt my family, I have a responsibility to protect them. There's no, there's, there's no arguing with that. It isn't, it isn't the same for what you do to someone who does you an evil. Exactly. And what Jesus spoke to there, what he said is, pray for those who persecute you, love those who do evil to you. And that means that when it comes to the people who actually do us harm, we have a responsibility to return good for evil. And I guess in my own life, the line that I have drawn here is this. I put myself and my family in a situation where it is very hard to do evil to us. We live in a place where people are very friendly. It's... The government is not very intrusive. The, the people are armed to the teeth and believe in self-defense and taking care of their neighbors. And that means if someone comes after me and my family, they're probably going to die preemptively because we've put ourselves in a situation where we're defended. And if someone... And, and we're not in a big city, which means it's a lot harder to have random things come and affect us. And so I take my responsibility to defend my family very seriously. But by the same token, in the there there's there was a time when coworkers actually there've been many times when coworkers have mistreated me very much. One lied about me and got me fired. This has been years. Um Sure. And 
I did not return evil for that. Instead, I tried to return good as best I knew how at the time. And I prayed for him, and I still do. And I pray for the people who are in charge of that business when they come to mind. And I pray for the isn't other. Isn't it interesting? So, isn't it interesting as Christians how whenever we are dealt a heavy blow, that that's when we're reminded to be kind, and then on the daily, we are we lose that whenever we're not being pushed on. <laughs> isn't that strange? Yeah, it really is. And you know, you know where you know what the Bible says. It says where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. So where there is where there is darkness, God gives more light. And thank thank you, God, for that, because without it... There would be no balance to evil. And, and so along those lines, there, there is still a question. If I am called to love those who persecute me, to love those who hate me, that doesn't mean that I'm called to let them treat me like a doormat. And sometimes the most loving thing you can do to somebody is to make them stop, to make them, you know, to push them out of your life, to, to hurt them if they're hurting your family. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is actually to cause someone harm because there's just no way around it. So... In God's case, it says that at the end of the age, that the the wheat and the tares will be gathered up together. And you remember, tares look like wheat. Tares are when they're in when they're young, they look like the wheat. It isn't until they get to their final stage that you can tell that the tares are different. It says the Bible. Jesus said in one of his parables, he was talking to his disciples, explaining a parable. He said. At the end of the age, the wheat and the tares will be gathered up, and the tares will be thrown into the furnace and burned up, and the wheat will be brought into the storehouse. And he said the tares are the people who are growing up with his people, the wheat are his people, and the tares are the people who are growing up with his people who aren't his people. He says, don't do them harm now or you'll kill the wheat. Instead, leave it to the end of the age and the angels will take and burn them up. So we have some indication there that that there will be uh, destruction for the people who are not, not of God. But that, to me, suggests that that is the most loving thing that you could do to someone that if you didn't actually destroy them, they would live in eternal torment because they have chosen to, to push God out of their lives. And so let me, let me put it to you this way. If I choose to get as far away from God as I can, what am I doing to myself? Uh, what, what are you doing to yourself? It's self-harm. I'm doing myself, I'm making myself miserable because God is the source of all good things. And I the, see. the closer you get to him, the better things are. And the further you get from him, the worse they are. If I get, if I get far away from God, the most merciful and loving thing that you could do for me is just to end me permanently because otherwise I'm in misery for the rest of eternity. You're not, uh, 
responsible to change minds so that that does not happen to that person? Oh, as we can here, sure. But but there is there is a time when that will be cut off. And when that time comes, then God will apparently eliminate the people who are who have put themselves in a position where they are to be separated from him eternally. That's what it says. So I don't I you know I don't know where the dividing lines on that fall, but but when it comes to evil, that's the end result, right? right? It certainly is. And I would say that among a community, right, if I've got, uh, oh, say me and my family, a nuclear family of four, and uh, my brother has a hypothetical family, a nuclear family of four, and his son has, oh, run a, an automobile through my front door that uh, uh, was in spite over some reason, mm-hmm. that I might address that with love but not accept the continued attack or right. mentality that brought us there right and, and really right what that really requires slight. is discipline hmm. you you require that person to pay some to pay restitution to pay for that crime in a way that 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 fixes what they broke because that is the loving thing to do is to bring them to make them give restitution. And where would you put yourself on the idea that uh, some black sheep may not be, may be so bad for the rest of that group that they need to be segmented out of the group while they're being fixed. And, well, right. and, and that some of them can't be fixed. And, and here's for those people we we know what the bible says it says that there are certain people who do certain things that you should not fellowship with throw them out of your fellowship because they're making these choices right now and if they're making those choices that makes them dangerous to everyone else so get them out and i think that there's a very um important etymology the the meaning of the word between fellowship and uh uh what would you call it whenever you just provide the, the you're not receiving but you're just speaking you're pastoring you're professing you're mm. educating you're yeah that's the idea that's, you're pouring education. out the what they what they what they tend to call it in christianese is you're pouring yourself out okay but i'm not trying to i'm trying to to put this in layman's terms as best possible so let's use education Right? Education is when you're right and you're telling someone wrong what is right. Fellowship is when you're discussing the world and coming to right, a synthesis of truth. Right. Well, and, and, you know, as Christians, we're told that some are given the gift of teaching, some are given the, this other gift, some are given this other gift. We all have different gifts. And that means that for those who are teachers, they will be held to a higher standard. Sure. But also, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't teach people that um, are outside of the area of fellowship. It just doesn't. It just means you shouldn't listen to them. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And actually, there were a lot of years there where that was the case between you and me, man. Oh yeah. Because 
I recognized that dynamic and, you know, you, you rededicated your life to the Lord and it was something significant changed there. And we had fellowship instead of whatever it was before. I can certainly see that. Oh, fellowship is so important to be able to um, find somebody or find people um, that you can trust enough to accept an idea that isn't yours and, and really consider it and, yeah. and see if it's appropriate to integrate into yourself. Uh, it's it's almost impossible. You, we began this discussion and you were talking about your dad and your uncle and your family and your town and you yeah. got a large group. You really have a large group. It's, it's enough to make someone envious. Uh, I to make you envious, a, you said during break. Yes. Just put it the to way you were going to put it. Fair enough. Um, I live thousands of miles away from my family. I, I don't have uh, a network that's from my upbringing. Uh, it, it's a fact of my my uh, bio biography that I moved 54 times by the time I was 19. And that does not allow for the same sort of connections that people might have of knowing someone for 20 years, right? Just, it's not something that is possible for many, many, many people in this day and age where we don't have the same connections to our families. We don't have the same connections to our hometowns. We don't have the same connections. So if someone feels that they have the calling to Christ and they don't have a fellowship, where, what do they do? What does someone do if they, they don't have that fellowship to try to, to discern good from evil and, and what is the right path to be on? Okay, so a couple of points here. You know what Jesus said when people told him, he was in a room, he was teaching, and people told him, your, your mother and your brethren are outside and they want to talk to you. And he looked at him and he said, these, my disciples, he pointed to his disciples, he said, these are my mother and my brethren. And what we see there is that the group of people who he, who were his followers who had bound themselves to him it was a closer binding than the ties of blood. And to illustrate this even further, I don't think a single person who I know in person, other than my own immediate family, is probably watching this podcast. And when it came to the book that I wrote, Bright Star, do you know the percentage of people who I met playing video games on the internet who were willing to buy a copy to support me was orders of magnitude higher than the percentage of people in my extended family who were willing to buy copies to support me. And Jesus said that a prophet receives honor everywhere he goes except in his own hometown. And the idea here, to me, goes something like this, that these bonds that we build on purpose to brothers and sisters in Christ are far more important than bonds of blood or even the long um, acquaintances that we make. 
I can I can definitely say that in my own life that is true. I am blessed with my my immediate family, my siblings and my mom and dad are fairly close and they do support me, but outside of that group, it is really the people who I've sought out and brought around myself that have supported me. And so for anybody who's watching this, as you asked, what do they do? It looks kind of like this to me. The Holy Spirit knows what you need. And if you're looking, you know, you know what they say about a ship that's, uh, that's under sail is one that can be steered. So start moving, start looking for a place for fellowship. Um, whether that's a local church, you know, a lot of churches are really not places that God is working. You can, I can be worshiping and walk into a church and the Holy Spirit just flees from the place. He will not go into that place. But a lot of times you find Christians in a church. So go to a local church. And if the Holy Spirit tells you to go somewhere else, you go somewhere else. Um, there are groups on the internet that are pretty healthy groups, you know. Uh, like, uh, there's just a couple of examples. There's a uh, a lot of people know what, uh, I can't remember the name of the series, but it's the rabbit room is the publishing house and they publish Andrew Peterson's stuff. Um, and he's got the wing, it's the wing feather saga. It's a kid's okay. Christian kids, uh, stories. And they have a Facebook group where there are a lot of people who get together and they share things that are pretty cool. It's, it's a neat place. Another one is, uh, there's a podcast I've been listening to called Conspiracy Pilled for several months now. And after the, after their show every, what is it? Every Wednesday, um, they do, they have this rumble chat and sometimes there is real fellowship that goes on in that circumstance. So whatever it is, whatever the group is, God will provide for you what it is you need. And to anybody who's watching this, who, who is badly in need of fellowship, I am offering my own, uh, time for that too. Get a hold of me. Uh, you can email me, Jared at e6universe.com. Uh, if you go to e6universe.com, you'll find my email address there. You can find me on Twitter, Modern Apocrypha, um, Jared at modernapocrypha.com. You can get me on Facebook. You can get me on Instagram. I'm actually technically a public figure now because I'm an author. It, it isn't very hard to find me. Come find me if you need fellowship. I will, I'll put something together. We can talk once a week with people, you know. I'm happy to do that because our primary instruction from the Lord was to make disciples of the nations. And that means that when somebody is, when the Holy Spirit opens somebody's eyes, they need the rest of the body of Christ. They need other Christians to hang on to and to learn from and to grow with. And as iron sharpens iron, you know, you and I, we have different opinions. You have different opinions than me. You don't just follow me around like a puppy or something. You have your own <laughs> opinions. That's a, that's a good thing. We have to have different opinions and we have to, we have to come to our own conclusions. That's a healthy thing. And we need to treat each other that way. I don't, 
you know the situation that I could have found myself in. I, I'm a fairly charismatic guy. If I had if I had gone the wrong direction, I could have wound up like a cult leader or something. And that is the last place I want to be, man. I want Personally. brothers and sisters around me who hold me accountable, who I hold accountable. You know, maybe I have a gift to teach. Maybe I have a gift to to do this or that, whatever. I'm happy to exercise that and to have them exercise their gifts. I have no desire to be above anyone. I have a desire to be responsible <clears throat> for the thing, things God puts in front of me. No more. And I think it's important uh, in the process, if you're if you're uh, listening to your podcasts or you're, you've got your tweet groups and whatnot, to then get in. You've got to get in and, and at least offer fellowship because if you're offering something that no one wants at all ever, then it's probably not you. You're probably in the wrong space, right? That's yeah. certainly hugely important. Um, I always leave it up to you to to put out your name as as the place to contact because um, I recognize that you're quite frankly more um, administratively responsible. You know, you, as someone could call me and I may not notice for a week, and I would hate to put someone into a position where they thought they weren't being responded to. But I'll, I'll show up and I'll. I'll offer my honest, um, uh, really honest, and that's not that's not a, a shallow statement, but my honest review of any topic or thought, period, right? I'll give you my, what I feel, biblical view, because that's who I am. Yeah. Um, but if you're not running the idea, the initial ideas, especially for someone like me, because my mind goes through a million thoughts a second of the th different perspectives, it could go um, and, and and running that past everyone around me as, as to whether that's positive or negative is certainly important to me. But uh, I, I do uh, throw you under the bus as the contact just be just simply for the administrative aspect of it. Not that I won't be a, a thousand percent happy to be a part of anybody's care sure. of Christ. Sure. Well, and you know, like I say, I am here if I am needed and and if you don't have a group to fellowship with, if you're if you're not speaking and being heard and and then being spoken to and hearing it also, if that's not happening, reach out, right? Yeah. Reach out. Yeah, and, and you know, it doesn't need to be to us. It can be to somebody else. That's fine. God has a place for each of us to be, and it's important. And it's gonna be different from one year to another, too, where our places are. So it's interesting you you often put out there and this is a tangent this is moving off the topic of, of people reaching out if they don't have a group um you, you said uh even in this podcast that you don't you don't uh, imagine what god's purpose might be it is it is his purpose and we aren't to understand it mm, that's not quite right i think uh, i feels a little I, I think more along the lines of i don't assume that i know or that i can that I can pin it down. I like to imagine it. I like to, I like to try to understand it, but the second that you've decided that you do understand it, it's going to come smack you in the face and like knock out your teeth. It's certainly true that, uh, trying to encompass it all is, is well, very, even, very much. Yeah. And even, even in the moment though, you know, it's like what you say about not being dogmatic if you decide that you know how God should be acting, 
God's going to show you that you don't know what you think you know. That's just... That's fair. That's fair. What, though the moments and moments, um, day-to-day, doesn't really strike me as a uh, something I would put on God, but I do imagine what God would want. Um, God seems to me to want us to bring Christ to all the nations to then bring order to this, I'm going to put it in secular terms, planet, bring order to this planet so that we can be fruitful and expand because so far as we can tell, we are to bring Christ to all the planets because Christ is not there. It's, well, it's dirty. I... It's, it's awaiting, it's awaiting our order. You know, I don't know his order, his what... order. Well, his order, but, but he operates through and in his people as well. So in that sense, our order, um, but his order. Sure. But sure. no, you know, I, I don't know. I, I have often wondered, I have often wondered because, because it's like we've said before, you know, what God makes, the good things are in, have infinite variety and they go on forever. And the evil things come to an end of their own design. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, uh, holy things tend to be fractal and the, uh, evil things tend to be entropic. That is a great way to put it. And, you know, maybe our next podcast ought to be on something like that. Indeed. Hmm. Actually, I think that was originally how we talked about framing this podcast was in terms of entropic. I see. Wasn't it? Uh, yeah, we begin with the idea of uh, those things that are degrading. Well, entropic. a subject uh, for another time. But, but you know, when, when we talk about the... the uh, the context of what I was writing in Bright Star, entropy comes in there. You remember? Indeed. So indeed, I, I've put I've put a little thought into that, and using that word is going to make all of the science people's hackles stand up. You can't use that word that way. No, that's well. Um, <laughs> it is a Darwinian satanic cult that put science above God. Science intended its works and it functions as it's supposed to as a check to see if you are viewing the reality that is there, not to tell you what reality is. It's a, it's a check. It's a tool to see if you're seeing things correctly. Yeah. And if you're saying, if you're saying it's correct and it's, it is self uh, self supporting structure, then you've lost, you've lost the game. I can't think of a better note to end on than that. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for visiting with us. Come back and see us again real soon. Indeed. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.